Thank you. The Bible says, a man, a faithful man shall abound with blessings. And I think that's a strong motivation for us to be faithful, to remain faithful. We're going to be in Psalms chapter 40 tonight. In Psalms chapter 40. One pastor who is tired of hearing the same old excuses from people who don't attend church, he put the following insert in the church bulletins. Ten reasons I don't bathe. Number one, I was made to bathe as a child. Number two, people who bathe are hypocrites. They think they're cleaner than other people. Number three, there are so many different kinds of soap, I could never decide which one is right. Number four, I used to bathe, but it got so repetitious and boring, I quit. Number five, I still bathe on special occasions like Easter and Christmas. Number six, none of my friends bathe. You usually like to be in that crowd. <laughs> Number seven, I'm still young. When I'm older and a bit dirtier, I might start bathing. Number eight, the bathroom is never the right temperature. Number nine, the biggest promoters for bathing are soap makers, and they're only after the money. Good reason not to bathe. Number 10, besides all this, I really don't have time to bathe. Well, I'm going to take a little bit of liberty tonight and do something that uh, probably will scare your pastor. But uh, actually, I want to do this to his honor. I'm going to sing a song. And uh, uh, if I've never done so before, by the end of this, you'll know that that's not my specialty. But there is such a thing as singing from the heart, and this song does have a message. I want you to think of your pastor as I sing this, because I want to dedicate it to him and to this week's theme of being faithful. It's an old favorite of Lester Olaf. It's called, I've Come Here to Stay. Now the champion marched for 40 days, saying, give me a man to fight. The Israelites said, we got a brave heart, but our feet are full of fright. Then a boy with a sling and a pocket full of rocks that knew how to trust and pray said, if you're going to run, Goliath, you better take off now, because I came here to stay. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. And if I fall down, I'm going to get it right up, I didn't start out to play. It's a battle for your brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. Now the decree had been signed by the hand of the king, but Daniel still prayed to the Lord. The hungry lions pacing the den. Here comes supper, one roared. And if you'd have been standing anywhere close, you'd have heard Brother Daniel say, If you're talking about me, forget it, boys, because I came here to stay. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. And if I fall down, gonna get it right up, but didn't start out to play. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. Now the boys wouldn't bow, and the king got mad and said, Turn that old furnace up high. Tie them up, boys, throw them on in. Those Hebrew boys are going to fry. A little while later, he looked in the furnace. He heard Brother Shadrach say, Pull up a chair, boys, and warm up your hands, for we've come here to stay. Run if you want to, run if you will, I came here to stay. 
If I fall down, I'm going to get it right up. I didn't start out to play. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Run if you want to. Run if you will. But I've come here to stay. Psalms chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 61, you find these words. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. I believe we are preaching to brokenhearted people today to people that are still bound up, that need to be set free. And I'm glad to tell you, I got some good news. The Spirit of God has anointed me to preach good tidings, a good message. Yes, I praise the Lord for that. Now, I believe that every believer's personal testimony with God is of utmost importance. There's no doubt in my mind that in this very room, we'd have powerful testimony of people who've been redeemed, who've been born again, who've been gloriously saved, who, who have detailed memory of great things that God has done in their life. The fact is, we are a old. In other words, the past. That was written in Psalms, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, the only song that Moses wrote. And that is in one of the stanzas. Surely it's important for us to talk about the things that God has done in our life. To rehearse it. Does not the Bible say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so? Yes, what we think about most is usually what we want to talk about. What do you think about a lot? The psalmist says, I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doing. We need to talk about it, folks. We love Psalms 118, verse 24. The Bible says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. But the foundation for that declaration is in the verse before. Where it says, this is the Lord's doings. It is marvelous in our eyes. How long has it been since you marveled at what God has done in your life? I mean, it's a great thing to marvel about how God has divided the Red Sea, but I wasn't there. But I was there when God saved me. And so, for us as Christians, the single most important testimony, and there's a lot in this room, but the most important one, not the preachers, is your own. It's your own. And so, our text tonight comes from a man who is raised in a godly home by God-fearing parents Listen to what David said. Psalms chapter 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Here we go. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it. What's the it in that verse? His testimony, folks. Many shall see it. What God has done for him, many shall see it. And what else? And fear and shall trust in the Lord. I know I got saved because somebody else had gotten saved before. I know that, that uh, the reason I've got a testimony here tonight is because somebody with a testimony led me to have a testimony. Now, the Lord gets all the credit. Yes, we understand that. But do you see how David marveled at God's goodness in bringing him up out of the pit? The Bible says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of man. Psalms 107. Wonderful works to the children of man. In Psalms 34, this was also David's word. He said, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. You know the worst trouble that people face in today is going to hell. 
But God is willing to save you. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. By the way, there's no salvation without repentance. Get that in your mind. Getting saved is not saying some words, not saying a prayer. Getting saved is repenting of your way, of your life, and turning to Christ, trusting Him for your salvation. Can I submit to you today, tonight, there are religious pits that are just as deep and a bit harder to get out of than any of the sin pits of this world. And David was raised by godly family, parents, but he had to get out of the pit. The only way to get out of that was trusting the Lord. Today, by way of a testimony, I hope to magnify the grace of God. Even as Paul did when he said, I'm the least of all the apostles. And not me to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed on me, was not bestowed in vain. Hallelujah. Both my wife and I were born and raised in an Amish home. Both of our parents were born and raised Amish, four of our parents. I had two and she had two. Two and two make four. And that means there was eight grandparents. All of those eight grandparents were born, raised Amish, and died. They were Amish dead, and they died. We go back a bit further than that. Sixteen great-parents, that's both added together. I had half of that. He had the other half. Sixteen great-grandparents, born Amish, lived Amish, died Amish. Wouldn't you say, makes pretty strong Amish heritage. What were the chances that we would be born and died Amish? Thirty-eight years ago, we were in an established Amish home. We had our circle of friends and we were felt secure in life. Um, the feeling of security, there is a feeling of security in belonging, especially to something special. This is exactly why the cults have such big numbers in their circles today. They make their people believe that you're something special. You know something that nobody else knows. And we got secrets that nobody else understands. And so uh, you feel uh, it's, it's good to, be, to belong to something that's different. By the way, if you like to belong to something that's different, this church is different than many other Baptist churches. You're in a good place if you like something different, Brother Corey. Amen. And so uh, as, as a boy, I felt so lucky to be born in an Amish family. I looked at the at the people that drove cars and thought, I'm, I, I said, how sorry that they don't go to heaven and we're going to go to heaven one day. I remembered asking my dad. I said, Dad, being Amish, being the way to heaven, why did Jesus have to suffer so much on the cross? I don't know what answer I got, but that was a pretty good question. Don't you think? At age 18... I was sprinkled with a handful of water, and it was called baptism. I thought, I remember that day. I thought, that afternoon, I was reflecting upon it. I thought, wow, if I could just die today, I would go straight to heaven. Because today, my sins have been washed away. Because I got baptized. Now, folks, you all know better than that, because I know you got a preacher that tells you the truth. All the waters of the Mississippi, the Atlantic Ocean, Pacific Ocean, the Amazon River, and all the other rivers together that don't have enough water to wash one person's sins away. It takes the blood of Jesus Christ to wash your sins away. You may ask, well, what does an Amishman believe? <laughs> he believes what his parents believe. Well, what did his parents believe? They believe what the church believes. What does the church believe in about 350 years of developed tradition? Folks, that doesn't equal salvation. 
Isn't it high time that somebody asks, what does God tell us to believe? The Bible says, Jesus said, nay, I tell you, except a man repent, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He said it twice in the same chapter. Solomon said, there is a way that steveth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. If you're here tonight, trusting your religion to get you to heaven, you're going to have a great disappointment one day because religion doesn't cut it. If religion would cut it, this world would be in pretty good shape because there's a lot of religious people. But Jesus said to a very religious man, Verily, verily, said you to Nicodemus, except ye be born again, you will not see. You cannot see the kingdom of God. Cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus was a little persistent. He said, can a man enter his mother's womb the second time and be born the second time? Jesus said, compared it to the wind. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. You can't explain the wind. Boy, up here in South Dakota, you want to get out of it, though. I, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to get back to the state of Missouri. I'm going to quit calling it the state of misery. But I'm glad I know what, how South Dakota and North Dakota got settled. Years ago, when they still had the Model A's and the Model T's, People drove all the way up here, somebody said, and it was so cold they couldn't start their vehicles to go back home. So they just stayed here. Now, talk about what you believe. Believing is very, very important in the Bible. I got an example in Acts chapter 16. For the jailer, a very wicked man, ungodly man, he had beat up on the apostles the day before. I mean, he threw them into prison. He was sleeping well that night. But there was a God-sent earthquake, the most unusual earthquake I ever heard of. An earthquake that undid all the windows and the doors and rattled the jail off the foundation. Didn't hurt anybody. Isn't that strange? And everybody was set free. Even the stocks were knocked loose. I believe that old jailer knew that this was something unusual. But he figured everybody had run out, and so he was fixing to kill himself. And they said, uh, and, and, and Paul said, don't hurt yourself, we're still all here. You ever wonder why they were still all there? You see, that night, Paul and Silas were singing, praising God, glory, glory, hallelujah. And they were praising God, and the jailbirds couldn't understand what in the world they were singing about. They were bleeding, their backs were closed, were bloodied. And uh, I believe those Apostles led many of those jailbirds to the Lord. And that's why when the jail took off its foundation, Paul said, everybody freeze! <laughs> Got to do what the man of God says, don't we? And so nobody ran that night. And he could tell the jailer, we're still all here. And the jailer came, fell down on his knees before them and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, if he'd have been today... They'd have tried to Americanize him first. Or they'd have tried to say, you know, you've got you to join the church. You've got to get baptized. You've got to take, um, you, you, you take uh, so many lessons before we can in order to test you. But you know what the answer was? What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. I like the word saved. It comes up a lot in the Bible. Neither is there salvation in any other name out of heaven given among men, whereby we must be. Amen. Say it louder. Amen. Amen. You better decide here and now what you believe. Because what you believe is going to determine where you're going to spend eternity. So, we got married. Sometime, with my wife's permission, I'm going to tell you our little love story that we had and how, we, how the Lord gave her to me and, and how we got together and so forth, but she said not tonight. And so, 
Brother Tim, one time I was bragging on her. What is, I, what, she's, she's the, the cherry on the top of my ice cream, and she's the sugar in my coffee. She's just everything. And I, I was talking, I said, honey, come on up here. I want, to see, I want the people to see you. And it was, that was about 15, 20 years ago. And, uh, and uh, I had to tell her the third time before she finally came up. And uh, when she came up, I said, now smile for the folks to see. And she smiled. Boy, it was not until I got home that I found out that was just a paper smile. Yeah. <laughs> when we got home, guess who got taken to the platform? Don't you ever do that again. So now I just tell folks, you, I won't do that, but I will let you, for a nominal fee, have her signature after the service tonight. <clears throat> now, we were married and had children, and I wondered, what is life really all about? And then the Lord sent a man with a testimony. Hallelujah. He, he, uh, it would forever change my life. It would forever change my wife's life. It would forever change and affect my children. It would forever affect my grandchildren. And now I've got great-grandchildren for them. I thought they were little angels. I changed my mind on that last night. <laughs> And I'm saying the power of one testimony. I want to preach a while tonight. The power of one testimony. Because of what God did it with, in our lives, there was nine other Amish families affected and that came to the Lord. Brother Tim, the last time I checked, all nine families distilled an independent Bible-believing Baptist church serving the Lord. And their children are all over the world serving God. You see, the Amish do not drive cars, but they love to ride in cars if you're driving it. Driving a car is the capital sin. It's a sin that will send you to hell. But amazingly, they're allowed to hire somebody else to drive the car, and then they can ride with it. You know, it's a roundabout way of paying somebody who's going to hell anyhow to do your sinning for you, so you can get the benefit of both worlds. Carl Hasty was, was, was the name of that driver, and he was different from any other driver. He always had a Bible on his dashboard. And we'd be driving down, we'd just start off driving down the road, he said, well, praise the Lord, we're going to go to heaven when we die. Isn't that wonderful? I said, well, we can't know that for sure. He said, son, would you take that Bible and open up to 1 John 5, 13 and then read it to me? So I did. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. I didn't know that verse was there. And so we talked and, and it would be some weeks or maybe a month later and I, we'd write again. I said, this time I'm ready. I'm ready. I said, I know one thing. You have to have good works in order to go to heaven. He said, would you open that Bible again? Take it off the dashboard. Open it up to Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. While you got that, turn it to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should, should boast. Now, that, that was earth shaking to somebody who believes that you can work out your own salvation. By the way, the, you said, isn't that a Bible verse? Doesn't the Bible say work out your own salvation? Yeah, it does. That means after you got it, you work it. You don't work for it, but you work it out once you got it. We've got too many Christians that are not working, too many Baptists that are not working it out as they ought to. I believe in good works. We are created under good works, the Bible says. But tradition was our guideline, both in everyday life and in matters of faith. We had no running water, except when Dad would say, run out to the well, fetch me a bucket of water. No electric, no phones. Some days we wish we didn't have phones now, huh? No refrigeration. Well, I still thank God when I open our refrigerator door, the food's cold. What a, how wonderful is that? We take too many things.
things for granted in our country. Did you know the poorest people in America are richer than the richest than the rich people of the com among the common folks in the other countries? I'm not talking about the filthy rich dictators that lord over their lives. But so everything you say, everything, preacher, you're saying everything was old fashioned. How cute. Like a little house on the prairie. Let me just set you straight on that. We did everything the hard way. The hard way. But actually, with the mindset that you're earning heaven for the quarry, with doing things that way, not that hard. I could switch back to Amish today, live the rest of my days Amish. If I would do that, I wouldn't, my wife wouldn't go with me. I know that. But I'm saying, I know how to do it. I know how, how, what ropes to pull and what strings to pull to, to make that happen. You see, tradition can be a great blessing, but Satan is sure good at turning blessings into a curse. And when you think you're going to heaven by keeping traditions, it's a curse. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah say of thee, ye have honored me with your, uh, with your mouth and with your lips, but your heart is far from me. In vain do you worship God by way of your tradition. In vain do you worship God through your tradition. Yes? Bible says, for as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation. Conversation means way of life. Your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Somebody say amen. As of yesterday, I remember asking Mr. Hasty, this was after many conversations, after many hours of being taught Bible truth. I said, Mr. Hasty, are you saying that all these things I've been done doing, I was 28, 29 years old, all these things I've been doing in my life, I've been farming with horses and doing everything the complicated way, the backwards way. And I'd look over the fence and see how the neighbor would be pulling the plow and he'd do, he'd do in one hour what took me a week. Are you saying that uh, not having electricity and not driving cars and going down the road in an open buggy when it's 10 above zero? Oh, I remember that day. I was driving down. It was so cold. I was saying, Lord, I'm suffering for Jesus. I have a notion the Lord was not impressed at all. So I remember asking him, Mr. Hasty, are you saying all of that was for nothing? And he looked right in my eye and said, all for nothing as far as salvation is concerned. And then he explained to me what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It is finished. Hallelujah. And it didn't hit me until several days later. And I, I, I realized that I was a sinner. I realized there's nothing I can do to finish the plan of salvation. It's already finished. And all I have to do is receive it. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Near as I can tell, that's the time that I got born again. My name got written in heaven. There's been times I wish that Mr. Hastings would have said, Glenn, you drop to your knees and pray the sinner's prayer. You pray, with, you pray after me. I would have prayed after him. Okay, now, write that date in your Bible when you got saved. But on the other hand, I'm going to trust the words of God more than the words from my mouth. Paul said, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That day is judgment day. I'm going to trust him fully. Now, I thank God that I had God-fearing parents. You say, oh, so your parents were saved. They didn't say that. There's a lot of God-fearing Jews today that are not saved. But they did teach us that the Bible is the Word of God. Brother, that's why it made it easier for you to teach us because when you said, this is what the Bible says, and that's what you'd always do, you'd turn us to the Bible. I thank God that my parents followed us out of that religious system and also got saved. 
But there is a heavy price to pay. Breaking away involves shunning. That means we won't spend Thanksgiving Day. My wife comes from a family of 14 children. She was the oldest. She practically mothered some of those children. She couldn't go to those weddings. We would never be invited. We wouldn't be. And it, what the parents even said, don't come to our funeral. When, when her grandfather died, we went, we went to, the, uh, to the visitation. And when we came in, uh, her mother just screamed, started crying out loud. There was people all around. Because we had not dressed in Amish. We were dressed in very plain clothes. But I'm telling you, religion is cruel. Religion respects nobody. We didn't get to see the remains of Grandpa. But on the way home, the next day, I led a man to the Lord. And I praise God for that opportunity. Well, allow me to divert a little bit here. I, I would just like to remember some things. Um, so allow me to digress, if that's a word suitable here, to pause and to, to change lanes here and just go down memories lane. I want to share some memories with you tonight and to talk about these things that happened long ago. You see, 35 years is long ago for some of you. It's not so long ago for some of us. But you see, this too is scriptural because when God... Uh, 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 David said in Psalms 103, I remember the days of old. I meditate upon all thy works. I muse upon the work of thy hand. Well, we've been down doing that the last couple of days. We've been talking about things. And we see this was the hand of God in all of this. And so Deuteronomy is actually gives a command. Remember, remember the days of old. Young people, that makes it totally scriptural for us to talk about the good old days. And don't worry about that you have to verify everything that we say because you, you weren't living back then, so we can say it the way we want to. Walking uphill five miles to school both ways. I remember, remember the days of old. God told the children of Israel, consider the years of many generations. Ah, that means we, know, we need to know history further back. Folks, it's a, it's, a, it's a cruel shame, it's a wicked shame that our young folks know so little about American history. And the reason that America is in such a mess today is because our legislators, our senators, do not know their history of America, the price that was paid for our freedom. It is being fizzled away today because of that. America has no problem that couldn't be solved by a generation of real men that would study history. Had to get that off my chest. As I look back at the tumultuous times in our life, when we left, when we changed, folks, we lost our best friend, our family member. It's one thing when somebody, when somebody from California uh, cusses you out, I could care less. In fact, if somebody from California, if he's a liberal, and uh, I, I would have to disagree with him or I would, be, I would have to confess my sin to God. But if I could say a few words to you, Pastor Stowe, as I look back, I'm afraid we, we took advantage of Pastor Stowe's time of his generosity. And he mentioned this morning when my sister died, was killed in that buggy accident. And he, he let us use the, his family car to drive across two states to go to that funeral. I mean, who would do that? You just, you just, uh, he, he might have uh, lent us some money to go rent a car. That's pretty personal when you, when you let somebody use your family car. And that's exactly what he did. What he did. And a bunch of greenhorn ex-Amish, 
I mean, I'm sure when he said, he probably saw us go and he said, Lord, goodbye car. <laughs> By the way, a few details on that, on that funeral. Because we were excommunicated, they never called us when she died. Uh, it was noon. It was, we were just ready to sit down for the noon meal, Brother Tim. And the kids were in school. And I told, I said, oh, listen, it's 12 o'clock. Paul Harvey's going to come on. Let's turn on Paul Harvey while we eat. So I turned Paul Harvey, and the first thing he said, he said an 18-wheeler ran over a horse and buggy in Teola, Indiana. The husband, the Amish husband, was thrown clear from the rig unhurt, but the mother of 11 children is dead. I jumped up. I said, I've got a, my sister's got 11 children. This is awful. Now, well, it's somebody else. I sat back down, jumped back up again, paced the floor. Finally, she said, why don't you call? Because you used to live in there, and you still have a phone number of the neighbors that you could call and find out if it's true. I did call. And they said, you mean you haven't heard? I wrote Paul Harvey a letter and explained how he was the first to tell us that. We never heard this, but a couple years ago, somebody from the Cahoka area said, Paul Harvey read that letter later on. I'm, I wish I could still get that, but he did. I, I wonder how many times that pastor gave up his evening or his time with his family to answer long phone calls from us, just wanting to talk to the preacher, because we knew if nobody else loved us, we got a preacher that really loves us. And the phone was a new gadget in our home. So who can I call that would give me some time? Let's call the preacher. He'll be so happy to hear from us. Pastor. Pastor Stowe, though I'm 35 years late, will you, in behalf of myself, my wife, of six families accept a big fat thank you for pouring yourself into our lives the way you have. Thank you for your patience, for your time, the late hours, the added stress you might have had in your life. I don't know what it was, but I'm sure it was something. Because new babies can sure be stressful to a family. And 32 new people, new Christians coming into his church Folks, as a pastor now, you're not telling me that it didn't cause some waking hours because he had to get us lined up so that it didn't drive other people away. Today, we both laugh and cry in reflection as we remember some of these things. And yes, folks, there's some funny things that happened along the way, too. Somewhat slowly, our way of dressing changed. Gradually, we discarded the homemade clothes because promise they can only wear homemade clothes. And we got new clothes. Uh, but these first Sundays, where we still came, at least some of our Amish clothes, partially in that dress. And here's what happened. Our young mothers, we had little children. Young mothers would send their kids, their, their, their little children, to the nursery. And so the nursery workers were, were awing and owing about the, our little boy Floyd. And they said, oh, what a cute little girl. Look at her long hair. And should we put a bow in, surprise her, surprise her mama. A little later, they took the wet diaper off and said, uh-oh, it's not a girl, it's a boy. Well, you see, in Amish society, little boys wear dresses until they're two years old. And then they wear pants from their own. And so there's just a lot of things we didn't know. And uh, some of the things, you know, some of the things I still don't quite know. In fact, it makes as much sense for me for little Amish boys to wear dresses as it does for Baptist girls to wear pants after they're two years old. So, one person observed 
when the Amish eat ice cream, they don't just eat a dish, they fill up on it. What do you mean by that? Well, it means they make a whole meal out of ice cream. But let me, there's a, there's a reason behind this. When the Amish make ice cream, it's in a, it's in a can that holds a gallon and a half. And they freeze it. Ice is hard to come by. When they finally get it, they make a whole freezer full. And you know what? It's got to be eaten in one meal. Because you can't keep it. You can't put it in the deep freeze. Hello? They learn to eat a lot of ice cream. Amish, the Amish kids are taught to clean their plates. When you eat, you eat all the food. And you even scrape it out of your plate. It still bothers me at our church meals when I see food thrown into the wastebasket. Maybe it's because of my Amish upbringing. I tell them, take all you want, but you eat all you take. And so these six boys were out working, uh, helping somebody clean up some yard work or whatever it was. And they had them. They said, well, why don't you stay for lunch? And they, they put, took them in for lunch and they fed them. And uh, they were eating and they, boy, they scraped their plates clean. Well, that was a sign they didn't have enough. Hey, you want some more? No, we got enough. Oh, you got, and they poured them some more. Well, these kids were taught you got to eat everything. I mean, they were as fat as ticks by the time they got out of there. And, but they had to clean their plates. Now, uh, I listened to a conversation one time, and uh, probably at church, and uh, they, they were talking about the Indy 500 races, Pastor, and they explained what was going on. I was trying to figure this out. They were explaining that you get in and you drive 500 miles in a big circle and breakneck speed. And then when you get off, you're at the same place that you got on. Now, listen, folks, I drive 500 miles to come up here. But I don't want to get off at the same place I got on. And I'm dead sure I'm not going to drive at a breakneck speed. So I most certainly want to get off at a different place than I got on. Some things we didn't understand about the English world, and I still don't. Remember Roger Lucan, Pastor Stowe? I actually, you know what brought him to church the first time, him and his wife? I had been out visiting the week before, and we had so much lettuce in our garden, beautiful lettuce, but, but uh, Miss Ida said it'll, it'll, it'll get bitter if you leave. So we put it in a bunch of bread, bread bags, and, uh, and I passed it out, and I stopped at Lucan's home and gave him a bag of lettuce. He was so impressed at, that he came to church, him and his wife, and they kept coming. They kept coming. So folks, the real issue is in getting people to church is passing out bags of lettuce. Got it? <laughs> and so, so I asked, one day I was asking him at church, I said, so, uh, Mr. Luke, what were you doing last, what did you do yesterday on your day off? He, he had a factory job, and he said, well, we just went out cruising. I said, what's, what's cruising? And he tried to explain, and is driving without, I said, is it driving without a definite destination? As he tried to explain, I said, he said, he said uh, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it is. You mean, you mean uh, going somewhere without getting anywhere? Yeah, 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 exactly. Listen, I shook my head as I walked away from that conversation, and I didn't know that my, here was my conclusion. The, the Amish are not the only ones who've got strange traditions. <laughs> so, I was two years old when I got polio. Polio was an awful thing back in the 1950s. It was 1952 when I got it. That's eons and eons of years ago. Even long more eons than what Pastor Stowe lived. And so... We was rushed to St. Joseph Hospital. By the time I got there, I was totally paralyzed all over. The doctors didn't figure I would make it. My parents didn't expect me to live. But God willed it that I should live. The Bible says the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. And I praise God for that life. I want to use the rest of my days for his glory. And, but it would forever change my life. Um, but God willed it that I should live, and... I thank God so much for it. Psalm 139 says, 
I will praise him, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. I live in a crippled body, but I thank God for this old crippled body, because it's my only ticket to live in this world. Hello. So I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to eat all, uh, somebody said sugar and salt is a good preservative. I want to eat all the sugar and the salt, salty food. What's for Never mind, you agree with my wife, don't you? But, but uh, I was educated in a one-room schoolhouse. I failed the third grade. You say, really? You failed the third grade? Why did you fail the third grade? Because I was too dumb to do fourth grade work. That was back in the days when they didn't pass kids that didn't do that. Today, you'd put them in special ed and push them right on through school. You think about how many thousands of dollars we spend on, on kids' education, and some of them come out barely able to read their own diploma. And so, by nature, I was a very active kid. To be different than the others was most painful. As a teenager, I worried that no girl would ever like me enough to marry me. And I did sure didn't want to go through life by myself. Uh, you see, a young person, a man's manhood is measured by how much work he can put, physical work he can put away in a day's time. How many cows he can milk, how much hay he can throw in it in the loft and uh, how much wood he can cut and so forth. Uh, and I was convinced that never would a pretty girl marry me. Can you imagine the thrill I had when my Ida said yes to me? The sun shone brighter. Even the stars smiled. But dealing with my handicap in grade school was most perplexing. You see, back then, it was politically okay, politically correct, to win and to rejoice when you win. Today, they celebrate losers. And so, we'd have the two best players in the school would have the whole school as their pool to choose from, and they'd choose until the last kid was chosen. Do I need to tell you who the last kid was chosen every stinking time? It would be me and myself. And so, uh, the rejection was painful. Sometimes the captains would say, you take him, we'll let you go to base first. I'd say, you know, I'm not feeling so good, I think I'll just watch. they say, good idea. They like that. But I would go and feel sorry for myself. I'd pout. I'd wonder what in the world, why do I have, why am I the only one different? What does God, and yes, when you feel sorry for yourself, it makes you miserable. When you feel sorry for yourself, it, it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. But listen, it would not be until many years later when I found something very special in the Bible, a promise from Jesus Christ himself, where he said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. I say, hallelujah, another captain from another team. I say, the heavenly team found me and chose me. I knew what it felt to be rejected, but now I was accepted by the, by the captain would never kick me off the team and never ask me to do something I couldn't do. Hallelujah. So I purpose, I purpose be true to my captain, to be content with what I can do. I don't want to focus on what I cannot do, but focus on what I can do. But my eyes are still on some glorious promises in the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we know when this earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I'm looking forward to that day. But you listen, you say, well, you're talking about a new body when you can run and when you can jump and do this. Yes. That's it. But one thing more than that, I won't have a body that's leaning towards sin forever. That wicked heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But Revelation says, God himself shall wipe away all tears and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Okay. I can't raise my hand. That's one thing. I watched Pastor Stu as he preached. You notice how the motion of his hand? I'd like to show you how he did it, but I can't. I can't. 
I can throw my hand up, but it just falls right back down again. I'm looking forward to one day I'll raise my hand. Maybe the first hundred years I'll run all over heaven praising the Lord and just raising my hand. Hallelujah. But listen, I can't raise my hand. Praise the Lord. Anyhow, guess what? I can raise my voice. Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. By the grace of God, I can preach. And as Timothy, as Paul told Timothy, preach the gospel. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but will, after their own lust, heap unto themselves preachers having itching ears. It's not talking about the preachers having itching ears. It's talking about the listeners. You talk about preachers being dull. Yeah, they're such dull preachers. The only dull thing I read in the Bible about is those being dull of hearing. And so that's what God says about that. So, by the grace of God, I want to do whatever I can, as much as I can, wherever I can, whenever I can, as often as ever I can, as long as forever I can. God has invested so much in me. I want to. Surely it's the most reasonable thing for me to give him my best. Whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Give it all, all you got. I want to, that's my reasonable service to God. So, folks, I'm closing with this thought. I have no excuse. Handicapped as I am, the negatives I've had to deal with, I have no excuse not to serve God. Are you making an excuse for not serving God? Think about that. Let's bow. It's about nice clothes. I want to just challenge you with the scripture. The Bible says, the psalmist prays, says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. God wants to do that. He'll examine you. And I'm simply pleading with you tonight. Do whatever God. Listen, time is so precious. Every day is a gift of God. Let's use it for his glory. Now that I've hit the big 7-0, the, the, the biblical term, three score and ten, I realize that's the measure of man's day. And everything I get from here on out is just an extra added gift every day. I want to use it for the glory of God.